You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord the God of Israel says to the shepherds who tend my people, because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pastures where they will be fruitful and increase in numbers. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them. They will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declared the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will rise up to David, a righteous bunch, branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. So then, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer say, I surely, as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt, but they will say, as Surely as the Lord lives, who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of all the countries where he banished them, then they will live in our own land. So I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase, um, post-tembrax lux. Post-tembrax lux is a Latin phrase. Uh, It means light after darkness. And it became a motto of the Protestant Reformation Um, indicating that during times when there is darkness, God's truth shines at its brightest. Uh, And that thought of light after darkness, I think, is a great theme when you come to the book of Jeremiah. Uh, So what we're going to do this morning is kind of travel back in time a little bit to the days of Jeremiah and find out why was the message that God gave Jeremiah about a righteous shepherd of should have been encouraging to them, but also equally encouraging to you and to me. Uh, and so in, in your Bibles, Jeremiah chapter 23, you may notice the first four words that the chapter begins with, woe to the shepherds. Uh, chapter 23 picks up where chapter 22 left off. Uh, and so we're going to, to go through this text and look at it based around three verbs. So there's three verbs that we'll focus on, denouncing, anticipating, and rejoicing. And we'll see what this text has to say about first denouncing, then anticipating, and finally rejoicing. Um, But as you read those first four words, you saw that the text begins with denouncing the false shepherds. Uh, And Jeremiah, as well as Ezekiel, use the word shepherds in a very broad way. It can refer to political leaders, kings. It can also refer to spiritual leaders. 
And so in Jeremiah's day, it was a very dark period, uh, a period in which obviously kings were evil, uh, even the kings of Judah, uh, as well as, you know, the spiritual leaders of Israel were often not conducting themselves as righteous shepherds. But looking at those first couple of verses in chapter 23, I want to fill a little more in on the context of Jeremiah. So I've mentioned it was a dark day. Uh, Jeremiah is often described as the weeping prophet uh, because his message was primarily one of judgment. There, there are promises of hope and restoration, uh, but it's a very strong message of judgment. And it's very possible that as Jeremiah was writing this, he's writing before the Babylonian captivity and exile happened, but, but shortly before it. And, and some have argued that portions of Jeremiah, even this one, may have been written while the city of Jerusalem was being under siege by the Babylonians. So this is a tremendously dark, disturbing time in Israel's history. God warned them, and they have failed to heed his warning. And so God has said he's going to bring the Babylonians in, take them out into captivity. They will be in captivity for 70 years. Uh, and then they will be restored. Uh, in fact, earlier, Jeremiah described the shepherds of the people of Judah as being senseless. Uh, and if you were to look that up, the word senseless literally means stupid. Uh, a very strong sort of catching term, but, but that's how we describe their lack of discernment, wisdom, that they were not shepherds of God. And, and so... He begins here or continues the thought of denouncing them, uh, pronouncing God's judgment on them. Uh, but if you look at verse one, you'll notice that we have a, a litany of some of the actions of these false shepherds. Uh, what were they doing that was so grievous in God's sight? Well, you notice in verse one, it says they are destroying and scattering the sheep. Um, they, they are they're literally making them die, perish. That could be in terms of a king uh, by foolish decisions physically, uh, but also the sense, at least from a spiritual perspective, those spiritual leaders in Israel are not teaching the people. And, and so spiritually, they are dry. They are perishing. But then the term scatter that you see there as well, uh, simply causing division. Uh, we think about how one of the marks of the church is unity uh, based on the doctrine of God's word. Um, that is not happening uh, in the people of Judah. Uh, and you may recall that although Jeremiah is writing about the southern kingdom, the people of Judah, the Assyrians have already taken out the northern kingdom. So in other words, God's already shown his judgment on the northern kingdom the southern kingdom should have learned a lesson from seeing that, but unfortunately, they did not. So these false shepherds are busy scattering, destroying in verse 1. Go down a little bit further in verse 2, both the scattering part is repeated, but then it says, because you have scattered my flock, driven them away, and have not bestowed care on them. So now we have its added element, you, you've driven them away. You, you've put them, in a sense, into exile. You've pushed them away 
And I think ultimately you push them away from me. As spiritual leaders, you should be, even kings should be reigning in such a way, realizing that God has placed them in that position. And we're not talking about pagan kings here. We're talking about the kings of Judah. Um, and then he goes on and says, not only have you driven them away, uh, but you have not bestowed care on them. Keep, keep that phrase in mind because the opposite is going to come up in the verse later. To bestow care means to, to actually visit or to closely inspect. Uh, and if you think of just a literal shepherd, a shepherd's job is to know the condition of his sheep. Uh, many years ago, I had, uh, when we lived in Connecticut, I was preaching on the text from uh, the prodigal son who he went off and you remember how he went off, kind of took care of pigs. And, and things. So I visited a pig farm in Connecticut. Uh, and I was so impressed with this pig farmer who, who, as these pigs were all moving about, he said to me, do you notice anything? And to me, they just look like dirty animals making lots of noise. And he said, you see that one over there? I'll have to check it because it's not walking like it should. In other words, that was his job. He needed to know the condition of those he was watching over. He, he needed to inspect them. Uh, and this is saying here, these denouncement of these false shepherds, they're not inspecting. They, they really don't care about who is under them. They're self-centered and they're selfish. So as you continue to look at this, notice in verse four, he doesn't tell us how this happened, but in verse four, towards the end of the verse, it says, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing. So somehow under the watch of these false shepherds, it's led to an unhealthy sense of fear or being terrified. And also that there are those who have simply kind of walked away and there's been no follow-up. Uh, this is very similar to what Ezekiel will say, when he talks about the lack of shepherds caring for their sheep uh, and bring that into a spiritual realm about God and his people. So we see here the importance of denouncing these false shepherds. Uh, with, with that picture in mind, I'd like you to turn to John chapter 10. And in John chapter 10, you may recall that Jesus will refer to himself as the good shepherd. But the context of those words are quite interesting. In John 10, verses, we'll look at verses 7 through 11. Um, this is on the heels of Jesus has healed a blind man on the Sabbath. Uh, the Pharisees are upset with him because he did this miracle on the Sabbath. So they're challenging his authority and in challenging his authority, Jesus will get around to talking about what a good shepherd is. Now, keep in mind, the Pharisees knew the Old Testament. They would have known what Jeremiah said about the deceptive and false shepherds in his day. They would have known what Ezekiel said about what a good shepherd looks like and what a bad shepherd looks like. But notice what Jesus clarifies here in John 10. And verses 7 through 11. Therefore, Jesus said again, 
I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All whoever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. As particularly in verse 10, if Jesus says the thief came to steal and destroy, Jeremiah is saying this is what the false shepherds are doing in his day. Then we can equate them with really not being shepherds at all, but being thieves. Uh, being those who steal, not just from the people under them, but you could argue they're stealing as well from God. So let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 23. And so we covered our first verb, denouncing, a strong denouncing of the false shepherds. And if you want to read more, just go back to chapter 21 and 22 of Jeremiah. But the approaching darkness of the Babylonian captivity and exile isn't the end of the story. For in Jeremiah's message, our text also speaks about anticipating. And that is anticipating the arrival of the righteous shepherd. So imagine in that context where God has said his judgment is coming. It is certain. But he also speaks of a righteous shepherd who will come one who will be the exact opposite of all that you have seen throughout your history. And in thinking about that, again, look just quickly at verses 1, 2, and 3. And you have, once again, like we saw in Isaiah, covenant language. So in other words, you see in here where he speaks of the crimes of the shepherds, but it says, woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Then go down a little bit further, it says, because you have scattered my flock. And then in verse 3, I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries. And so immediately we are reminded that there is a promise of divine justice and righteousness based on God's covenant that he made with his people. They're not just people, they're his people. And it's not just Israel's land, it's God's land. And so we see this connection, just like we do in the New Testament, that we have been redeemed in Christ. We are now children of God. He is our Heavenly Father. Uh, we are the sheep of his pasture. But then notice with this promise, that's anticipated. This is great that there will come a righteous shepherd. With that righteousness, there's always a twofold aspect of justice. And that is when we think of God's justice, there is first punishment of the wicked. And so I mentioned earlier in verse two, when we have the indictment against the shepherds, it says you have driven them away and have not bestowed care on them. So that word bestowed meant to inspect or to visit. You have not done that. Then it immediately follows with the same word, but stated differently. I will 
bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done. And this is a, a familiar pattern in the Old Testament. It, it can go by different names. Sometimes it's called the principle of retaliation. In other words, God will act on behalf of those who mistreated his people by judging them with the same things that they did to his people. And that's exactly the case here, that God is going to judge the Babylonians for what they did to Israel by sending the Medes and the Persians who will take out the Babylonians. And so we see when we speak of divine justice, it has to include the punishment of the wicked. And that's why earlier I was mentioning how Advent is both something we are to rejoice and celebrate, but interesting that much earlier in church history, the emphasis was about Christ's return and, and a day of judgment, which, which is an important aspect of Advent that we don't want to ignore. But with the fact that this anticipation of this righteous shepherd who will come, with that comes the reality that yes, evil will be punished, but the, the righteous will be blessed and rewarded. And you see this in verses three and four. In verses three and four, we read there, I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I've driven them and will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. And repeatedly in this section of eight verses, you have references to declares the Lord. In other words, this will happen not because of circumstantial things, uh, but because God has decreed it. And even their very exile was ordained by God to refine his people. And he reminds them of that here. But notice the rewards that will come. They will be gathered back together. He will assemble them. And he will bring them back to the land. And he will raise up godly shepherds for his people. Uh, and that clearly did happen historically. I mean, they do come out of the Babylonian captivity. They do return and rebuild the temple. But, but all of that are smaller pictures of a much greater event that clearly is behind all of these things, uh, that, that is connected to how the New Testament speaks of the kingdom of God uh, and the final culmination of God's plan. But if you look at verses five and six of Jeremiah 23, you get to the identity of the righteous branch or the righteous shepherd, and that is Jesus Christ. That, that the Lord speaks of what he will do, but the means by which he will do that is through his righteous branch. And so notice in verses five and six, it says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. Now, I want you to think for a moment, if you were living in Jeremiah's day, everything looks pretty bleak. God is, is going to send you into captivity. 
He, he, he will tell Jeremiah, tell the people to build houses when they're there, to set up their lives because they're not going anywhere for 70 years. So imagine hearing that God is saying he's going to raise up another king, and he will raise up a king who will be in the line of David. Now, if you, if you know your Old Testament history, during this time, Zedekiah is king of Judah, but he's really a puppet king. In other words, the Babylonians will come in, they'll keep him as king of Judah, but, but they'll pull all the strings and they'll control him. And then before Zedekiah, the four previous kings of Judah were all evil and bad kings in the eyes of God. So in other words, if you lived during this time and you heard this promise, your initial thought would be, I don't see how that could ever happen. You know, we, we have just Zedekiah here and he's not a good king. And, and if we're removed from the land, we have no king. There's no way that this can continue on. And yet God is telling them and giving them this promise of assurance and restoration that they should be anticipating the coming of the righteous shepherd. And so you see in verse six, just that name itself, the Lord, our righteousness. Now, righteousness is a, a very rich theological term. Uh, it means conformity to a standard. And in other words, this is conformity to God's standard uh, that by which we are right in his eyes. And it doesn't take us long to start to think about, well, how, how could that ever be? How could a people who are evil shepherds, who are shepherding a people who are evil, how could they speak of the Lord is our righteousness, is the way that we can be conformed? To, to God and accept it into his presence. I'd like you to go to Isaiah chapter 11, where that righteous shepherd is described in a little greater detail by the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 11, and this is often a text used during Advent, uh, but it shouldn't be limited to just Advent. Um, Isaiah 11, and I'll read verses one through five. And, and notice some of the word pairs that go together in this passage to describe this righteous branch or this righteous shepherd, uh, which would be fulfilled by Christ. Isaiah writes in verse 1, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge, and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes, or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. There you have the perfect picture of a righteous shepherd, one, one who, as he leads and guides the people of God, he will do so, as you see some of these word pairs, with wisdom and understanding, with counsel and with power. 
with knowledge and fear of the Lord. Clearly, this is what Jesus would refer to when he would later quote Isaiah 61, which says something very similar about the spirit of the Lord is on him. And then he will say, this, this is fulfilled in your hearing. So what an anticipation that is put before Jeremiah's audience during a very dark time that God has not abandoned them, that, that he will raise up from the stump of Jesse. In other words, this thought that it will look like the Davidic line will have stopped with the Babylonian captivity. It, it will appear that way. It will look to the people like it's, it's not just dark, it's getting even darker. And God is saying, all of this is according to my, my plan. So we've looked at denouncing the false shepherds. We've talked about anticipating the righteous shepherd. And then finally, it moves to rejoicing in what is unseen and certain. So in other words, nothing has changed in the circumstances of the people of Judah in the days of Jeremiah. But you notice as you come to Isaiah, or excuse me, Jeremiah 23, you get to verses 7 through 8. And here there is an aspect of rejoicing that should be a present reality in the lives of God's people. Um, and in verse 7, it says, so then the days are coming. In other words, the time is coming when all this will be fulfilled, declares the Lord. When people no longer will say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt. Now, I want you to think for a moment, what, what is he referring to there? He's talking about the first exodus, that, that great act of redemption and deliverance by which God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of bondage to slavery. And we sort of addressed that last month when we looked at the exodus old and new. But he's now saying as great as that event is, there's a new point of reference that the people of Israel will have. And that is, they will speak in verse 8, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and of all the countries where he had banished them, then they will live in their own land. In other words, surpassing even that first exodus will be what's often described as the second exodus, when God will deliver them out of Babylonian captivity and exile that they will look at that event now as being another event even greater than the first one to praise God who is their shepherd and this promised branch who will shepherd God's people. And in very many ways, Jeremiah is, is a picture to us of Christ. He's a type of Christ. In, in other words, it's interesting, both Jeremiah and Jesus were both rejected by their hometowns. Um, both of them delivered messages that were not necessarily widely received. Uh, both faced unjust treatment by civil authorities. And both had attempts made on their lives. And ultimately, Christ was crucified. But, but Jeremiah experienced attempts on his life. And so we're starting to see here, wait, if... We had the first exodus, and that was a mark of God's deliverance. The Babylonian exile and deliverance from that is a second exodus 
and we have a prophecy about the righteous branch, is all of this even anticipating and causing us to rejoice in something even greater? That in one way for the readers and hearers of this letter was unseen, but it was clearly certain. And so let's turn to one final passage, Romans chapter 3, where in this thought of deliverance and this branch will be called the Lord our righteousness. We come to Romans chapter 3 and verses 21 through 24. And I think this is so exciting when you see scripture tying all these aspects together. Because it is because of the righteous branch that we can speak now of how God's righteousness is our righteousness. So Romans chapter 3 and beginning with verse 21, um, call your attention just the opening two words, but now. Um, many theologians have called that a sigh of relief. Uh, in other words, prior to this point, pretty much Romans 1 through 3 has been dark news. has presented the gloom and sinfulness of man. But God has provided a solution. And so he writes, but now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And so there Paul makes that established connection between how does the righteousness of God, that conformity to truth and who God is, how does that become imputed to you and me? It is through what Jesus Christ has done. How we receive that by faith. And so that righteous branch is our righteousness. And we can say in the same sense, the Lord, our righteousness. So Advent definitely looks different this year. And we're all bearing testimony of that because we're not together. But that shouldn't diminish our celebration of what Advent is all about. Because Jesus Christ remains the great shepherd. He remains the shepherd king. And as we've seen today, he remains the righteous shepherd. So post-Tembrock's Lux is still relevant today. Light after darkness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are God over all things. And so we thank you for the reality that your truth always overcomes darkness. And this is exactly why Jesus said that he is the light of the world. Lord, may our Advent be filled with joy, anticipation, and rejoicing that the Lord, our righteousness, the righteous branch has come. And through faith in him, we are righteous in your sight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.